0: Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer and all of God's children said, Amen. After hearing the three simple rules, my guess is you're thinking, well, there can't be much more, right? Just one more, but it's not necessarily a rule, it's a, it's a principle. So we've heard about the three simple rules. Do no harm, do good, stay in love with God. And we come to today to look at one of the most identifying aspects of who we are as United Methodists. And it says in the bulletin, we are the people for whom the world is our parish. John Wesley always saw that as his own personal Faith mission, as well as imparting that to those in his Methodist classes and those who were following what he was teaching. The words from Isaiah today remind us that God's intentions have always been larger than just us. The us of the people of God are the means, not the end. Paul tells us in Christ God was reconciling the world to God's self. We hear from Isaiah today all the nations shall stream to the mountain of the Lord's house. And of course, we know that ever-quoted verse, God so loved the world. And in that verse has captured the imagination of hearts of disciples of Jesus Christ all over the world for hundreds of years. Now, I think it might be an interesting exercise in your own devotional to, to scan throughout all of the scriptures and find how many places you see and read about God's intentions for the world. Or maybe we can just settle down here in in this familiar text from Isaiah and and hear these words in a brand new way. I mean, you may recognize this text, you've heard it enough, and you might say, hey, that's that's from Advent, isn't it? I would say, yes, that's true, but we trot out those verses every season of Advent, that time of watching and that time of waiting, of expectation and of hope And I think that's what makes these particular verses from Isaiah perfect for the last sermon in this series, because it's a reminder of the perspective we need to have, the perspective we need to have to do the work of the church, the work we have defined and has been defined for us, making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Now, there's no question that this is an ambitious task. I mean, after all, we're only one church in a very big world. How in the world can we be expected to have an impact on the the whole world? We can barely transform ourselves or our congregations or our neighborhoods. The world just seems kind of out there, out of reach, out of our power, out of our influence. I mean, as we come to Isaiah, he is saying to us, you know what? I, I know. I know it's a great task. Believe me, I know. All you have to do is look at his life and his preaching and you know what he's talking about. In just these brief verses, listen to it again. There is hope and there is possibility in his words. There's a call within our reach in these words. One of the the translations of this passage that I like, it says, not in the last days, but it says, in days to come. In other words, something is going to happen. It's in the the passive tense. In other words, it's going to happen. We don't have any control over it. And we have trouble with that, right? Because we're doers. Especially in busy times, we want to be doing, we want to be moving, we want to be deciding things. Go, 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 nonstop. But all of that is not our work. This mountain raising and nation calling work isn't yours or mine, it's God's. And it's going to happen in the days that come, and we can count on that. In fact, that's our job, counting on it, holding on to that hope, holding on to the conviction that that God is at work. And if you don't think that takes effort, holding on to that, then you haven't really tried. I mean, when the world around you has given up on hope altogether, Holding fast to hope is is taking a contrary stand to what the world tells us. To say that you believe that there can be such a thing as peace is to make a radical declaration of faith. To live confidently that despite all the evidence you see with your eyes and everything you hear with your ears, that you will trust with your whole life that healing and wholeness is right around the corner. That is counter to what the culture tells us. So why is it so important to hold on to hope? Why not just be surprised, just like the rest of the world, when it does happen? Well, we could say that living in hope is a better way to live. We could say that a life filled with confidence and with joy is much more rewarding, much more satisfying than one shaped by cynicism or distrust. That's not what Isaiah is saying. He simply announces that there will be a time to come when the nations will stream to the mountain of the Lord. There will come a time when the people will want to learn God's ways and will want to walk in God's path. And he says that this will happen because there is teaching that's happening. There is the word being proclaimed, and this will happen because there are those who will welcome people. This will happen because there are hosts and hostesses on the mountain of the Lord. In case you haven't figured it out yet, the host and hostesses he's talking about are you and I. Friends, company's coming. That's what is saying. Company is coming. And yes, in part, we know that it is the word made flesh that comes and dwells among us. We know that Christ the King is coming. We have spent a season making ready, preparing him room so that this time he isn't turned away at the ends of our lives and hearts or left to sleep in a feed trough out back where no one but some smelly shepherds and wacko wise guys from out of town drop in on him. We know that this is part of our task, not just during Advent, but all the time, every day, To make room for the Christ who dwells within and among us right now. To pay attention to the Savior who is among us in in the breaking of the bread, and the waters of baptism. To welcome the one who brings us healing and hope and joy. Who brings us forgiveness and reconciliation with God. We know that. We remember that. We rehearse it over and over and over again. Why? Because we forget or rather we live as though we have forgotten. So we make ready for the one who comes to dwell among us again and again. But Isaiah is not satisfied with just that, as important as it is. There's a world out there that's hungry, hungry to learn, and they just might be beating a path to our door. This is a world out there that's dying for justice. They might be huddled under an awning right now, There are wanderers who have strayed down so many paths that their feet are so sore, their hearts are so broken, and they sometimes stumble their way into our hallways, in our aisles, and in our pews. Company is coming. The days are coming, and the question is, will we be ready? Not just the one, the Savior, the King coming, but the world that the one came to save, to transform, and to love is coming. And Isaiah asks us if we are ready to host them, to teach about the ways of the Lord, to to guide the world in the paths of right living. Are we ready to welcome the world into the presence of the Lord of life and the Prince of Peace? Are we ready to love the world as he loves the world, to embrace the whole world, to connect and to claim them as brothers and sisters? This hosting thing will not be easy. There are days when we want to be left alone. We want everyone to find their own way, follow their own paths, and I just can't do it today. You're going to have to find your own way. But friends, if we're holding on to hope, that means we have signed up for this. We have signed up for this duty and for this joy. And I know what you're thinking. Joy, really? Pastor Joy, this is a lot of work. But yes, I'm saying duty and joy. There was a lot of work that went on behind the scenes before what happened the last three days. That's our duty. Our joy is, even in the work that we were doing in the midst of it, teaching these young people. Throwing parties like that is about joy. It's about making others feel welcomed to make them feel wanted. It's about setting aside our our own comforts for the joy of others. The joy of including them that they feel. The joy of growing the family with the one we've been waiting for without even knowing who it was that coming up to the path of our door. So how do we do that? How do we sweep the paths and the, the light, the lights, so that those who wander near might know that they will find a welcome in this space. Isaiah says it's pretty simple. He switches from that passive. In other words, it's happening to the active at the end of the passage. In other words, he switches from God's task of the days coming to the our task in one verse. He says, come, O house of Jacob, come, you who inhabit the family of God, you who serve as hosts on the highest mountain, You who let the teaching flow out, the welcome be all-inclusive, come. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. In other words, we live out our lives and we live out our welcome in faith. We must be the light that we set in the window so the path to the door can be found. When Wesley declared the world is my parish, he wasn't claiming his authority as much as he was accepting his responsibility John Wesley was in his way to the new world, on his way to the new world, to carry the gospel for any and all that he would come in contact. And he did that when he wrote in his journal the words that we have remembered for this long. The world is my parish. He had a heart for people and for the church. And worked to to shore up the faith of believers as well as welcome new ones with his system of classes and bands and, and small groups in this Methodist movement. But he knew from the outset this faith was not one of being secluded from the world, but rather he engaged the world around him. From the beginning of our denomination, we have been engaged in in world-changing activities. And this is not a new thing. It's not progressive or traditional. It's the very essence of our DNA, of who we are as United Methodists. We are Methodists to see the world as an environment, an arena within which we do our work. Don't believe it? Ask Dorothy about Haiti. Ask anybody who went to Haiti. The world is our parish. Ask about the lives that have been changed because of the work that we've done. And we went there to build community and to make disciples. And that's what we're, is the heart of our work discipleship making. I mean, we remember that the purpose of making disciples isn't to strengthen the church per se, but rather to make disciples, more disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. We can quote John 3, 16, but it also reminds us that all of this was done not because God loved the church so much, but because God loved the world so much. Too often we approach the world as though it's in opposition to us, You know, church is good, the world is bad. But it is the world into which we go once we leave this place. Discipleship making must always be an inward activity and then an outward directed activity. This gift we have, this this Christ that we claim is not a treasure to be hoarded, it's a blessing to be shared. We are truly blessed to be a blessing to the world around us. This is a time to remind ourselves of the difference we have made and must continue to make in the world around us. I don't have to say too much more than what you saw in the last three days if you were here. I want to talk about making a change in the world in the community around us. Teaching young children, coming together letting them know who they are in God's eyes feeding them, feeding people who didn't even come That's making a difference. We're more worried sometimes about bearing fruit than we are about planting seeds. You gotta plant the seeds before the fruit comes. We need to continue to advocate for the poor and homeless in our area. What changes have we brought in the community around us we need to ask. As we go forward into the world, we should ask ourselves, what other partnerships should we engage with, like a, a school district, service organizations, community groups, so that we and they can make a larger impact in our area to develop the kingdom of God? Who in our neighborhood needs an advocate? How can we use our church spaces to include more people who may have been forgotten or neglected who live around us? As I was putting this together, I I found a story about John Wesley, who was returning home from a service one night, and he was robbed. The thief, however, found his victim to have only a little money and a lot of Christian literature. As the bandit was leaving, Wesley shouted out to him, stop, I have something more to give you. The surprised robber stopped and paused. Now, if you were the robber, my guess is you'd probably keep running. Because you don't know what's going to happen next, but the robber stopped. And Wesley said to him, My friend, you may live to regret this sort of life. If you ever do, here's something to remember the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. At that, the thief ran away. And Wesley prayed that his words might bear fruit. Years later, he was greeting people after a service when he was approached by a stranger. And then he was surprised to learn that this visitor, now a believer in Jesus Christ, was a successful businessman. This guy was the one who had robbed him years before. The transformed man was shaking John Wesley's hand, and he continued to shake it as he said, I owe it all to you. And Wesley said, oh no, my friend, not to me, but the precious blood of Christ that cleanses us all from our sin." We who are Jesus-seeking need to be reminded that he told us that we find him when we reach out to others, when we reach out to help those that society calls the least and the lost. It has been the practice of the people called Methodists from the very beginning to seek ways to make a difference in our world, to save the lost, as Wesley would say, to, to gather up in all who are beloved of God and ensure that they know that there is a place for them in the church of Jesus Christ. And we discover that it is in this seeking of those around us that we we find God most powerfully. And that's who we are. This is how we experience God through the United Methodist Church and through our work, discipleship making, missions, ministry. We are introducing people to how we experience God in the United Methodist Church. And how they too, when they make that commitment, they too can experience God through the United Methodist Church. That continues to be a process of each one teach one. Let them know. I don't know what what seeds Gabby planted when she walked those three young men around the church. I don't know what seeds we planted when we played with the, the thing we made at the imagination station of jet that popped up or in the food that they ate or in the lessons that they learned or in the songs that they sang. We don't know. But we plant them anyway. Because we want young people and we want all people to experience the God that we've found and our experience of God through the United Methodist Church. So let's keep planting those seeds. I know we worry about the fruit a lot. Let's plant the seeds. Let's tend the plants. Let's continue to be invitational. I don't know any other way than reaching out to people around us, talking to people we know, talking to people we don't, in order to let them know about Jesus Christ. And that is our duty and our joy. Amen.